0: 70 I am getting some echo or something uh, guys in the sound booth but Psalm chapter 70 as to the chief musician a psalm of David to bring to remembrance now Psalm 70 here uh, is a song of remembrance and when you look at this psalm it is identical to Psalm chapter 40 verses 13 through 17. And as it's a song of remembrance, it reminds me of what Peter says. That's a lot better, guys. Thanks. Um, Peter writes at the end of his life in Second Peter that you might recall, we went over it not long ago, that he said that I will not be negligent to remind you of these things, though you be established in them. And I know that it's really important for me, and I'm sure it is for all of us, that we need to be reminded of the Word of God and the things of God. And, and even though we just went over this in Psalm 40 about 10 pages back, I know for me that as I read a Psalm and I look at it, um, when I go 10 pages more, that I can tend to forget what I looked at. I can tend to forget some of the things that I just read. And so we want to continually always be in the Word of God. And this song of remembrance reminds us how important it is that you and I, that we continue in the Word of God, be established in the Word of God, be reminded of things of God. Sometimes people ask me, well, Pastor Duff, why is it that you have the book of Exodus and Leviticus, you have the law that's given, and then you go to the book of Deuteronomy, and, and some of that is very identical to what you read in the book of Exodus or what you read in the book of Leviticus. And the word Deuteronomy does mean second law. It's not a different set of laws that are given to the children of Israel, but it's given to that new generation. After 40 years of being in the wilderness, a generation had died out there. There's a new generation that's getting ready to go into the promised land. So Moses, he gives them the the law of God once again to establish them as a nation. And I know that I need to constantly be reminded of the things of God and the Word of God in my life. And I've been studying the Bible for a long time. And I can read something, like in my own devotions, I'm going through the, the minor prophets. And as I go through Amos, as I go through you know, Hosea, as I go through Obadiah and Jonah and those books, I'm thinking, yeah, I remember this. And, and it's a reminder, and it helps me to continue to be established. What I pray is that none of us would ever get to the point... That we say, well, I know the Bible. And I've talked to those who say, I don't think it's really all that important that I come to Bible study because I went to church for years and we studied the Bible and I was in men's study or I was in ladies' studies. We need to constantly be in the Word of God. And I commend you for coming out during the week and on Sunday mornings and other times, continuing with your own devotions in the Word of God because. We can continue to just read this and be reminded of these things. Remember that it was Paul that he would say to the Philippian believers, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. I'm going to keep reminding you of truth. And we do see that things are repeated in the scriptures. And when they are, when God repeats something, it's like he's saying, I want you to remember this. I want you to get this down. I don't want you to forget this. And so, you know, repetition for me is very, very important. And it continue to be in the Word of God. So this is a song of remembrance. It was Paul the Apostle at the end of his life when he was in that dungeon. And, and that final place before Nero would give the orders to have him be executed. And some of the last words that we have of Paul in the New Testament that he would write that he says to, to you know, Timothy, Timothy, come quickly and, and bring the parchments, bring my coat. It, it's cold, but bring the parchments. In other words, bring those scrolls, bring those parchments, the Word of God. And this is coming from someone who wrote most of the New Testament. And wrote so many books that we have. A scholar, a Pharisee of Pharisees, who was an expert in the Old Testament. And at the end of his life, his desire was to continue to study God's Word. What really blesses me in this church is to see not only the young people that are coming So many kids and so many youth that are coming um, because that's so very important. But also what blesses me is when I see you and and us who are older that continue to come. That really does bless me because you realize the importance of continuing to come to church. And you're not saying, well, I've gone to church all my life for 30, 40, 50 years. I don't need to go any longer. But you're coming and you're learning and you're growing in the Word of God and being reminded of these things. And, and God's going to bless that. And that's so very important in our lives. So here, a song of remembrance, as David writes this, and he is writing this during the time again that he's out in the wilderness. He's being pursued by uh, by Absalom, his son. Many of these psalms that we've looked at lately Were written during those conditions and during that situation that you read about in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18. So as we read to the chief musician, a psalm of David, to bring to remembrance, verse 1, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. And it's like David is saying, make haste. I, I don't have time for a long prayer. And it is interesting in this situation that it was great difficulties. It was a hard time. Some of the Psalms that David penned were longer Psalms, weren't they? And we've gone over them. Some of them, like this one, is a very quick one. It's like, make haste, Lord. Help me right now. I don't have time to, to you know, for this long song or this long prayer. And that's okay, you see, sometimes we can think, Lord, if I don't give this long prayer in the time of difficulties, then you're not going to hear me. And the Lord does hear you. He, he does respond to, to us when we just cry out to Him in those short prayers that we give to Him. You remember that it was Peter that he's in the boat, and it's stormy, and Jesus came walking out on the water. We know the story. And as uh, they were afraid, uh, Jesus said, don't be afraid, it is I. Uh, and, and Peter said, if it's you, really you, Lord, command me to walk on the water. And he stepped out of the boat, and he's walking on the water. Pretty amazing. He's the only man besides Jesus that walked on water. And as he's walking on the water, all of a sudden he notices the waves crashing against him and the rain and the wind blowing in his face, and he began to sink. And and what did he do? He cried out to the Lord. He only had time to say three short words, Lord, save me. That was it. And the Lord heard him, and he pulled Peter out of the water and plopped him back into the boat. And there are times and difficulties and situations that we end up facing that I feel like all I have time to say, Lord, is, Lord, help me. Make haste, Lord. Help me in this time that I'm going through. Help me as I'm making decisions or as I'm facing these circumstances or going through these, these trials that have come to me in my life. It's almost like Nehemiah. Remember when we studied his book that he's sad because he heard that Jerusalem was in rubble, and and it was in waste, and he'd never been there. He's the cupbearer to the king, and he's before the king, and the king said, you know, why are you so sad, Nehemiah? And we talked about that um, that was not, you know, a, a real safe place for him to be before the king and his countenance. The king's like, something's wrong because he depended on the cupbearer. And Nehemiah had been praying. He'd been seeking the Lord and and fasting for four months, you know, because he felt the call to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. And it says that before he answered the king, that he shot up a real quick prayer. And that's what you and I can do. So don't think that the Lord only hears you determined, you know, by the length of your prayer. It's your heart being poured out to him. And in those times where it may be just a a quick prayer, make haste, Lord, help me, Lord. Lord, help me in right now and how I'm going to answer. He honors that and he hears your prayer. So David is saying this, make haste, Lord, help me right now. And of course, we know that the Lord is available to help us right now. Remember just a few pages back, it was in Psalm 46, I believe, that it was um, the psalmist uh, that would write there, Um, that, Lord, you are my help, a very present help in times of trouble. And we know that that Psalm 46, um, that the psalmist uh, would write that God is our refuge and our strength and very present help in trouble. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is, Lord, you're available to help me right now. And isn't that good news for us? That's good news for us, that, Lord, whatever I'm facing today, that I know that you're a very present help right now to me and that you're my refuge. And Lord, make haste. And sometimes that the Lord answers very quickly, but other times we see that David writes about how he's waiting on the Lord. And so we need to learn to wait on the Lord. We need to learn to continue to cry out to the Lord and, and to, to say, Lord, help me right now today. Give me the strength to get through what I need to get through and the wisdom. And, and Lord, I know that I need to wait on you at times, but I know you're also here to help me presently today as I cry out to you. And, and so David continues to write, let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. And let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. And let them be turned back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. So, so David, again, is praying against those. A whole nation had come against him. And he's saying, confuse their counsel and course, I think that he's speaking more specifically uh, concerning Ahithophel, who was at one time David's trusted advisor that turned against David and sided with Absalom and was giving that counsel to Absalom that, Absalom, I will go after David tonight and I will kill him. Just give me some men and I'll take care of this tonight. And it was Hushai that David had sent back to confuse the counsel of Ahithophel and Hushai said, don't do that. We need to take our time and gather all the men of Israel and go against David. And it was, of course, Hushai that was used of the Lord to confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. So David's prayer was answered here. And it was Absalom that said, we're going to go with Hushai's advice. And uh, Ahithophel knew that um, that he would be defeated at that time. And Ahithophel went out and hung himself. But we see that he's praying here that those who say, um, you know, aha, aha, David, we're going to get you. We're going to come at you. And we're going to kill you, David. In verse 4, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified That What amazes me about David is that he pours his heart out to the Lord. Lord, help me. You're my refuge. You're my strength. Lord, confuse their counsel, those who seek my life, those who continually say, aha, aha, coming after me, applauding against me. And, And David, he expresses that, but he always in these Psalms, what does he do? He then turns back to the Lord, doesn't he? And he gets his mind and his heart and his thoughts and his prayers towards the Lord. And that's what he does. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. So how is it that you can rejoice and how is it that you can be glad even in the difficulties? We know from David that we can do that as we seek him, as we set our minds and our hearts on him, and as we cry out to him, and as we praise him even in those difficult times and that can be a hard thing to do but I think a real key is is let those who love your salvation say continually let God be magnified I I don't think we say that enough at least I don't in my life if I want to have Christian cliche or verbiage that I want to say to others I want it more to be let God be magnified you see the problem is that oftentimes we let the problems be magnified don't we we let the problem be magnified or the difficulties or, you know, uh, the hurts, the, the confusion, the, the anger, whatever it may be. We let that be magnified rather than let God be magnified. And I'm sure that every single one of us that are here tonight, or at least I, I hope, that we can say, I love your salvation. That we do, just as we sang tonight, and and the theme of our worship songs is that we have an eternal hope in Jesus Christ that we're going to be with Him. The day is going to come where no more tears and no more hurting and no more sorrow, no more pain It's going to come for you and for me. That's a promise to us who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in Him. And we can say, I love your salvation. Let God be magnified. And that's something that we can say every single day even in the difficulties that we go through. God, you be magnified. So let's try that, all right? You ready? Let God be magnified. All right, let's say it again. Let God be magnified. Good, you guys are doing great. So (laughs) let that be a part of our, you know, what we say. Let God be magnified. And I know for me that's really important because I have a tendency (laughs) When I go through hard times or I get upset, that I let the problems be magnified rather than the Lord be magnified. And the Lord, you have saved me. You've forgiven me. You love me. You're my help. And Lord, you're going to work for good. I don't know how. I don't know what's going to come down the road, but I'm going to take it day by day with you so God be magnified. And that's what David says here. And then he writes, but I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. So again, make haste. Help me, God. I am needy and I am poor. And it's so good to know that when we are poor of spirit, when we are needy, that we can call out to the Lord. So Psalm 70 and then Psalm 71, we see that the psalm is here and there's no name attributed to this psalm. But as we go through it, we're going to see that many believe that this is indeed David that penned this psalm. And as we look at it, we're going to see that the psalmist reviews a life of dependence on God. In verses 1 through 4, uh, he's going to talk about God's help presently. In verses 5 through 13, he's going to talk about and write about God's help in the past. And then verses 14 to uh, verse 21, God's help in the future. And what we're going to see here is that the psalmist is going to be concerned about his future. So let's begin to look at Psalm 71 as we do read, In you, O God, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame, righteousness, and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge, or that may be translated, uh, your strong habitation to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. And verse 4, deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous, and cruel man. So we see here that first of all as, as the psalmist is writing David perhaps, uh, God's help presently, uh, Lord help me now is what he's crying out. And again the Lord is available to help us when we cry out to him. And we can't hide from our, you know, life of trouble and trials that come our way. I think we know that. There are times where I want to hide from it. There are times where I look for that big rock to crawl under, you know, or that you know place to hide and not come back for a long time. But that's not reality, is it? And we have to face those troubles and those difficulties. And it's in those times that we need strength. We need strength in life to face those troubles. And that strength comes from who? Does it come from ourselves? Does God tell us you need to grit your teeth, you know, and, and tough it out, and get a stiff upper upper lip, you know, and and suck it up. He doesn't say that. He always tells us that we're to rely on his strength. And even when you read, like for example, when the Lord tells Joshua that Joshua you be strong and of good courage, the, the indication is Joshua that you can be strong and of good courage as you just walk with me, as you meditate on my word day and night. That's Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, you want to be successful? You want to take the land, be strong and of good courage, and meditate on the word of God day and night and to trust in him and to look to him to give us the strength each and every day that we need to get through those difficult times that we can go through and will go through in life. It was Paul the Apostle as he was writing to uh, his second letter to the Corinthians. And you recall in chapter 1, he starts out that book by saying, You're the God, the Father of mercies, and the Son of Jesus Christ, who is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulations. And then with the comfort in which we are comforted with, we can comfort others. And so he comforts us. That's a promise in all of our tribulations, not some of our tribulations, But Paul, in that chapter, he's writing about, as he's writing that second letter, he says that, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, that you know that when we came from Asia, that we were pressed beyond measure, that we were despaired even of life. And Paul, as he talks about his ministry, how he was pressed beyond measure, despaired even of life. And there are times where we may feel that way that we're pressed beyond measure. Lord, I'm really feeling the pressure here. Lord, I'm really feeling like I'm about ready to give up. And it's in that time to understand this, that he's the God of all comfort that desires to comfort us in all of our tribulations. And he is your strength and he's your refuge and he's a very present help. And that's something that all of us can say amen and what? let God be magnified because your word is true. And so the psalmist here, David, is if he's writing this, which I think he is, God is our help now when we need it, when He is our strong habitation, um, Lord. That's the place where I can go and hide. Remember that David he would write that that in Psalm sixty-one that he says, "Lord, I want to hide under the shadow of Your wings." He would say in these psalms, "You're my strong tower, You're my my refuge." And so when those things are after me, the difficulties and the trials and the pressures of life where can i go and hide under the shadow of his wings and in his strong habitation that's where i'm going to place myself in your high tower lord is where i'm going to hide and i'm going to go to you for strength and we continue in in verse five for you are my hope O lord god you are my trust for my youth and so here the psalmist again saying that lord i have trusted you from my youth um He, the psalmist, remembers God's deliverance. He's our hope. He's our true hope. And he remembers how God's hand had worked in his life from his youth. I think it's good to remember, isn't it, how God has worked for you in the past. I know it is important for me to remember that. To look back and see and remember God's faithfulness in times past and trials past. To know that he's going to continue to work in my life. He hasn't forsaken me. He hasn't forsaken you. And it's important for us to remember the past faithfulness of the Lord and how he has worked in our lives and his promises coming true for you and for me. And you see, that's what David here is writing. And he's writing at the end of his life here, as we're going to see and continue on. I've trusted you since my youth. And we want to get established our youth to start learning to trust in him. And then continue to walk with him and trust in him in our lives. You know, one of the things that we see, that that was a message to, um, after David writes this, we know that his son Solomon would reign for 40 years. It was the greatest prosperity and the greatest peace uh, in the history of Israel. And shortly after that, well, when Solomon's son was reigning, the nation split. And they were into idol worship and forsaking the Lord And one of the messages was, remember the past faithfulness of the Lord. Turn back to him. Don't go after those idols and the false gods. We see that was a message in the book of Joshua in chapter 1. That that generation after Joshua, Joshua, as he told the children of Israel at the end of the book of Joshua, a book of victory, wasn't it? They conquered the land and drove out the inhabitants and great victory, and they walked in faith. And then at the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua says, you need to choose this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And it says, as you turn the page over to Judges chapter 1, that that generation after Joshua forgot the works of the Lord and the Lord himself. They forgot what the Lord had done. We never want to forget what the Lord has done for you and for me. How Jesus has provided forgiveness of sin and salvation. How he's created a new heart in us. That we belong to him. And his past faithfulness that he's shown to us. We don't want to ever forget about the works of the Lord in our lives, but declare them. And that's what the psalmist is doing here in verse 6 as we continue. But you, I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb my praise shall be continually of you i have become as a wonder to many but you are my strong refuge let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day so here is uh, one of the reasons why i think this is david because we see that david says in verse 7 i have become a wonder to many and that word wonder here in hebrew talks about and makes a reference to that uh god's power in other words that the psalmist is saying that i become a, a wonder to many because of your power being demonstrated through me and of course that would fit into david's life david as a young teenager would take on the champion goliath and and put him down and just just like that with a with a sling and a rock we know that david would be a great warrior Defeated nations. He was a great king. And God was working through David and through his life, and he became uh, to many a wonder to many. But Lord, you're my strong refuge. You see, as tough as David was, he was a great warrior. And as I've mentioned before, you didn't dare mess with David and his mighty men because you were going to go down. And I read about his mighty men, how they took on the Philistines and And one of them jumped into a pit and killed a lion and and all of this. I mean, these guys were tough. But one thing that David recognized is, Lord, you're my strong tower. You're my strong refuge. You're my strength. It comes from you. I'm not going to boast in myself. I'm not going to boast in my own strength, even though I become a wonder to many. And we need to always recognize that each and every day, God's grace and strength is given to us that we can face that day and face the world that we are in. So David did awesome things, and, and he, he says our praise should be of him and not of others. And, and verse 8, my mouth is filled with your praise here. I want to be more like that, don't you? I want to be more like that when I'm facing difficulties, when I'm not so sure about what tomorrow holds. I do know who holds tomorrow. But I want my mouth to be full of praise, not full of murmuring and complaining and gossiping and, you know, complaint. I want my mouth to be full of praise. And I want to praise him. And that's what David is doing here. As he continues, do not cast me off in a time of old age and do not forsake me when my strength fails For my enemies speak against me and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together saying, God has forsaken him, pursue and take him for there is none to deliver him. David's enemies, as we see, prayed David, Lord, don't cast me off in my old age. And he knew that God had taken care of him since he was a youth and that God's going to take care of him now. As we get older, And the older we get, one of the greatest fears, I think, is that they will end up alone. One of the greatest fears is not only alone as you get older, but that the Lord will forsake you when your strength fails, when you get older. And I want you to know, as we do get older, the Lord isn't going to leave us. He isn't going to forsake us. The Lord is with us and he loves us and he promises always to be there. And, and you have a church family to love and to encourage. And so we want to do that as we get older, as, as uh, you're here. And it's so wonderful that you're here. But as he is praying, Lord, eh, just a natural feeling. Don't cast me off in my old age. Don't forsake me when my strength fails. And my enemies speak against me. They take they, they counsel. God has forsaken him. God isn't going to help him. And you see, that's one of the things that the enemy does, the enemy Satan, is he'll, you know, whisper to us that God is not going to help. Who's going to help you? God has forsaken you. You're all alone. That's one thing that the enemy is really good about as he whispers in our ears, thinking that God isn't with us, doesn't care about us, and how is it that you're going to get through this? You know, there's none to deliver you. You're all by yourself. And that's when we become down and discouraged and and depressed. And that's when we become fearful, is when the enemy is speaking those things to us. And I want us to always remember these verses, that the Lord is not going to forsake us, that the Lord promises that he won't, and that he is there to deliver us. And so, God, do not be far from me. Oh, my God, make haste to help me. Does that sound familiar? Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. He's just trusting in the Lord, and he declares his hope uh, to the Lord in verse 14, I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I do not know their, uh, for I do not know their limits. I, I don't know how far they're going to go, what it is that they're going to, to do to come against me. But I will go in the strength of the Lord God, and I will make mention of your righteousness of yours only. O oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wonders works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. A couple things here. As he says and declares that my hope is continually, verse 14, when we go through trials, we can lose hope over time, can't we? And we want to Make sure that we're saying that you're my hope continually, daily, Lord. And I want to declare your righteousness and your goodness. And not just praising you, as we saw in verse 6, but as we see that continuing to praise you. And more and more in verse 14, I want to more and more praise you. I don't want to stop praising you. You see, that can be the tendency that I can have that as the trial goes on, did I stop praising the Lord. And here David, at the end of his life, who's gone through so much, he says, I want to praise you more and more. I want to draw close to you. Lord, oh, please, don't forsake me, my old age. I'm gray-headed, and I want to speak of your wonderful works until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. For those of you who are older in the Lord, you got so much to give to the younger generation. Your testimony, your witness, you know, you know the things of God. You've been, you know, through things that that you know you've learned from and you can share with others and encourage others. And I pray that that for all the moms that are here and and dads and grandparents and uncles and aunts, that we would that time and really make it a priority that we're going to tell the goodness of the god and the truth of god to the next generation and that's what david is saying that i want to i declare your strength to this generation your power to everyone who is to come he he says you've taught me from my youth and now i want to teach them you have so much to offer and i want to encourage you and again once again i commend you For bringing your kids out here on Wednesday nights. And especially during the school year. Because it can be busy. And there's a lot of activities. And there's things to do. But when you make it to where you are coming. And learning the word of God. And they're learning the word of God. And that's a priority. God's going to bless that tremendously. So how important that we be praying for the next generation. That we be teaching the next generation. That I want to pray for you parents. And grandparents and uncles and aunts, they have opportunity to minister to, to nieces and nephews. They really it would be a priority in your life to just declare the goodness and the truth of God to your children, to your grandchildren, to whoever you have opportunity to. That's why our children's ministry is such a valuable and important ministry here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. We don't see it as child care; it is children's ministry. And I am so appreciative of you who minister to the children in the nursery, loving those little ones and the toddlers and, and to the children. And I pray that it is always that we see it as a privilege to minister to them. We would never, ever see it as a burden, but as a privilege. And it blesses the Lord as we care for them and love them And I am so appreciative of you who pray for our children, who minister to to young ones, who minister to your grandchildren, and, and you parents that minister to your children and those who help with the children's ministry. It's so important and so valuable and so needed. So here we see in verse 19, as David, he says, "'Also your righteousness, O God, is very high. "'You have done great things, O God, who is like you. "'You have shown me great and severe troubles.'" shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Isn't that interesting there in in verse 20? I think he's speaking of the resurrected life. You're going to bring me up again from the depths of the earth. And, And we know that Christ, as we've come to salvation, that we live now in that resurrected life, that newness of life as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6. And one day we are going to literally be Resurrected to be with him, and comfort me on every side in verse twenty two also the lute I will praise you and your faithfulness, O oh my God, to you I will sing with the harp, O holy One of Israel, my lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you and my soul, which you have redeemed, my tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long, for they are comfort uh, confounded, that is, for they have brought to shame who seek my hurt, so God is. Uh, Or David praises God for his righteousness. And then very quickly, Psalm 72, a psalm of Solomon. Now here's the interesting thing about this psalm. The debate is, is it a psalm of Solomon or a psalm to Solomon? And the author is David. When we finish this psalm here in just a couple minutes, the last verse seems to indicate that this is David writing this psalm to Solomon. But the title reads, the song of Solomon. Give thanks, king, your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. And he will bring justice to the poor of the people. And he will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. So here, this psalm, as David is writing it to Solomon, Solomon, of course, reigned for 40 years in Israel during Israel's greatest prosperity and greatest power and greatest peace. He built the first temple. The first temple was magnificent. It was huge. It was overlaid with gold. Silver in Jerusalem was as common as rocks. That's how wealthy the the kingdom was. And and those of the nations around would bring gifts to Solomon and come and, and hear of his wisdom. So for 40 years, there was great prosperity and peace. And what we see here is this psalm, as David is writing about, that he's actually writing about Jesus when he comes back and he reigns, when he establishes his kingdom. Solomon, during his reign, was a little bit of a picture of what it's going to be like in the millennium reign, a a peace and prosperity that when Jesus comes and rules and reigns. And we know that Jesus will come and he will reign. And um, it's a day when he reigns that he will judge the nations um, as he will judge your people with righteousness. Matthew chapter 25 speaks of that. And verse 5, For they shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish in abundance of peace until the moon is no more." So righteousness, Isaiah says, will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And there will be peace. He's going to rule with the rod of iron, Psalm chapter 2. And peace will come when the prince of peace rules. Peace will not come until Jesus Christ comes back. And we applaud those who are working for peace. But what the Bible has to say is that there's some great turmoil that is yet in the future before Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. You know, it's kind of interesting to see what's going on, you know, in the Middle East and around the world. There's great turmoil, isn't there? I mean, there's really uh, some heavy things that are taking place. We've all seen the the refugees that are pouring out of uh, Tunisia and Libya and Syria and Iraq and they're they're trying to get across the Mediterranean. They're going up into Greece, going in into Europe, and we see the pictures, don't we? Have thousands of them that are trying to leave, you know, those places where it's desperate and death and darkness and killings, and Christians are being killed. It is so bad in the Middle East. It's interesting to to read how things are being set up right now, just as the Bible says is going to happen with the fulfillment of Ezekiel thirty-eight and and that will be probably the next major war in the Middle East. We're hearing how in Syria the Russians all of a sudden are coming in and they're sen- sending their military into Syria to help Assad to shore up his, his government. And, and that's very much concerning. ISIS has gotten a hold of chemical weapons and are using them. As a matter of fact, they're coming out with pictures now of the Kurds that have been attacked by chemical weapons. We hear about the peace treaty with Iran, and the Congress is supposed to be voting on it this week, and there's apparently a delay, but a great debate about is this a good treaty or not. We know what the Bible has to say about Iran, about Elam, that war is going to come. Not because Pastor Jeff says so, because Ezekiel 38 says so, and Jeremiah chapter 49 says so. We look at this world and we see the stage that's being set up for great turmoil and great upheaval. So what is our response? Our response, listen, this is so important. It's really important that day by day that we continue to build upon the solid foundation, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, when the storms come, whether it's in your life personally because of circumstances you face, or it comes globally, whatever is going to happen, that we are placed upon the solid foundations and that we will be able to stand. And this is an incredible time to be able to minister to those who look at it and think the world is going crazy and it's messed up and it's all mixed up. We can talk about all that stuff. We'll talk about it at our Prophecy Update on New Year's Eve. Ooh, we got a lot to talk about. Listen, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace who's going to come. And he's going to come for his church, and then we're going to be at the marriage feast of the Lamb having dinner together and with our Lord. And then during that time, that seven years of tribulation, and at the end of that seven years of tribulation where God's judgment is being poured out in a Christ-rejected world, that we're going to come back with him and he'll establish his kingdom He'll judge the nations as spoken here. And then we're going to rule and reign with him. But there will not be any peace until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes back. So keep the right perspective. Keep your eyes on the Lord. It's going to be really important, especially in this election year with all the news is coming out. They get really anxious and upset and wonder. And we want to keep our eyes on Jesus. We belong to him. Okay, he's our refuge. And everything is culminating to the point where he's going to come back and it's going to be glorious when he does and establishes his kingdom. So here we see in verse 8 that we read that he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Only Jesus will have dominion to be able to do that. And those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of uh, the isles and bring presents, the kings of Sheba and um, Sheba and will offer gifts. Yes, all the kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and the needy. He will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence. And precious shall be their blood in his sight. Those who are going to be martyred. Those who are going through difficulties. Jesus is going to come back. But he's the compassionate Lord right now. Remember, he looked over the multitudes and he had compassion for them. Because they were sheep without a shepherd scattered. And he's the good shepherd. And he sees the difficulties when you're in need and when you're poor and when you need help. And he sees those who are going through persecution. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters that are going through great persecution. But precious shall be their blood in his sight. And he shall live and the gold of Sheba uh, will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually and daily he shall be praised. And there will be abundance of grain on the earth, and on top of the mountains the fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. And then we read that his name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the encouragement, Lord, that you are our help, our very present help, Lord, and that we can believe that you will never leave us or forsake us, even though we may feel that way, even though we can lose hope, when we go day after day facing difficulties or challenges or are feeling pressed beyond measure, that, Lord, you are our strong refuge, our strong habitation. Lord, you're our hope in everything. When it comes to salvation, you're our only hope. And we thank you that Jesus, that he came and that he was pressed, pressed in that garden as he sweated great drops of blood, And then he was pinned to a tree and died for our sins. We thank you for his redeeming work so that we do have hope. And Father, I pray if there's anyone listening to this message here in this building or listening live stream that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. He is your only hope. There is no other. The world is not your hope. No one else is your hope. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus died for you and rose from the grave. So, Father, I pray if there's anyone here that you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ, the Bible says we've all sinned. And Jesus came and died for your sins, made atonement. And he was put into a grave and he rose again. So the Bible says to repent, that is, turn direction. Quit going the way that you're going and turn to Jesus and surrender your life to him. And those who believe in him on the name of Jesus and confess with their mouths that that God raised them from the dead shall be saved. And as you come in faith in what he has done for you and dying for your sins and that he's alive, The Bible says that eternal life has been granted, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if that's you, will you pray? You pray, Jesus, I come to you right now, and I give you my life. I give you my heart, and I turn to you. I recognize that I am a sinner in need of forgiveness, and I plead the blood of Jesus. Forgive me. Wash me clean. And I know that you're alive, speaking to me right now and knocking on the door of my heart. And I open my heart to you for you to sit upon the throne of my heart and upon the throne of my life. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for loving me and for saving me. And help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer after the service when we conclude, will you come up and talk with me and let me know the decision you made? But Father, I do pray for all of us that go through difficulties and trials that we know that you love us and you're with us in your very present help. Take us all home safely, work in our lives, and may we say continually that God be magnified. So we thank you for tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God is good. All right.